thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you today for your presence with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that this is your service, not ours, it's yours. Holy Spirit, we invite you in afresh this morning to do what only you can do. We open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. Have your way. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Why don't you give someone a high five and grab a seat? You misses were there? Slapped someone in the face, maybe? Whoops. Well, the title of my message this morning is Billabongs and Bubbling Rivers. Everyone say Billabongs and Bubbling Rivers. Mouthful. So I want you to imagine the scene from John as he describes it in John 7. Perhaps you might like to close your eyes as you picture it. The city of Jerusalem was overflowing with people who had made the pilgrimage to the city for the Feast of Tabernacles. Not only had the city's population swollen to new levels, but now it seemed the population of flies was about to explode. Perhaps that was because during the eight-day period, so many sacrifices were made that it required all 24 divisions of priests to do it, and the flies were loving it. So the city was swarming, positively alive, teeming with noise and colour and activity. Heavy under the afternoon sun, the scent of fresh air blending with the dust of the earth. With the city being so crowded, Jesus made his way there and remained in secret at first. Thousands upon thousands of people had come to remember and celebrate God's protection and provision for his people during their 40 years in the wilderness after they were delivered from the land of Egypt. And they were jubilant as they celebrated the harvest that they had just collected. Now the most significant ritual performed at the Feast of Tabernacles was the drawing of water from the pool of Siloam and its pouring by the priest on the altar. So this was a joyful ceremony. This is how it went. It began with a procession of priests. You can imagine I'm a priest at the moment. Accompanied by singing and flute playing. And they wound their way from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. Then a priest filled a golden flask. You just need to imagine this is golden. With water from the pool. Whilst the choir sang with joy. Shall you draw from the water. Draw water out of the wells of salvation. The priests then returned to the temple via the water gate. When they arrived at the water gate, a blast was made on a shofar or a ram's horn. a bit like a trumpet doesn't it I would have learned how to play a shofar but I couldn't find one maybe Alfred can you play the shofar no he says no not not yet so after oh sort of okay after the blast from the shofar the group moved toward the altar of sacrifice the priest carrying the golden flask filled with water ascended the altar and prepared to pour the water on the altar
gurgling noises to accompany it. This ceremony was accompanied by great rejoicing and singing from the congregation. So it was on this final day of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, probably during the water ceremony, that Yeshua, or Jesus, stood up and proclaimed himself to be the source of living water. He invited all who were thirsty to come and drink. So reading from John seven thirty-seven to 39, this is what John says. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here's the thing, for hundreds of years, the Jewish people have been celebrating this water ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. But now Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Are you thirsty? Is there something missing in your life? Then why, do you come, why don't you come to me? Drink from me. I am the living water. I am the fountain of living water. So you remember last week that Ben preached on John 4, where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman by the well. And so in John 4.14, we read that Jesus says, If we drink the water that Jesus gives us, we will never thirst again. Remember that? In fact, Jesus says the water he gives us will well up in us to a wellspring of eternal life. Amazing. But let's go back to John 7.38 because this is the passage we're looking at today. So Jesus promises this, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Pretty amazing promise. So Jesus in this passage promises, if you believe, if you lean on me, if you trust in me, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful promise? And it's like a river of living water flowing from within us. So the word that Jesus uses for believe here in the Greek is pistuo. And it means, this should come up on on screen, it means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit or place confidence in, to have faith in or upon someone or something. So in this scenario, Jesus is saying, if you put your faith in me, put your trust in me, then rivers of living water will flow from you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And it will be like a river of living water. So this is what we're focusing on in this John series, my favourite book of the Bible, John. We're looking at what do we believe. So I want to ask you today, what do you believe? What do you actually believe? So finally, for the Jewish people, for centuries and centuries, they've been practising these rituals, these ceremonies these festivals, and it was all leading to the coming of Christ. And now Jesus is standing right in front of them 
at this Feast of Tabernacles, at the water ceremony, and he's fulfilling and he's the embodiment of all these rituals. All of these things they've been doing that seem like empty things are all leading the way towards the coming of Christ. They're not empty things, but they're rituals. Jesus comes and fulfills them. So at the Pool of Siloam, where the priest would have got the water, it was considered living water. It was the water that was used for ritual purification. So living water had to come directly from God. It was either rainwater or spring water. And it was the water that was used for cleansing and ceremonies. So now the true source of living water, can you see this? The true source of living water is standing right in front of them. Jesus, he fulfills all these rituals that they've been doing for hundreds of years. He's actually the only one who can truly cleanse them. He's the only one who can truly refresh us. So now the Jewish people need to know your Messiah is standing right in front of you. He's the living water. Also during this festival, the people were building these booths or tabernacles out of uh, palm leaves, palm branches, willows. They had to live in them. And it was a reminder that God sheltered them for that 40 years whilst they were wandering in the desert. So here's the question. Did the people realise, did they believe that Jesus Christ himself was now tabernacling amongst them. When I made this connection this week, I kind of had a brain explosion. How clever is God, by the way? He's amazingly clever. Because he's God, (laughs) you'd expect him to be clever. Because you see, years later, John writes in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So the word that John chose to use for dwelling is the word tabernacle, and it means to dwell in a tent. So the people are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. They're living in tents. They're tabernacling. And Jesus comes and tabernacles amongst them. Isn't that amazing? I found that incredible anyway. (laughs) So I wanted to set the scene for you because unless you're Jewish, unless you've been raised in the Jewish culture, all of this is quite foreign it certainly is to me so it's difficult to visualize but before we go any further let's just quickly look at some of the themes and the context of John you'll notice that John is very different to the other gospels and that's because John writes from the perspective after Jesus's resurrection and after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost So here's the most important thing I want you to catch if you don't catch anything else today. It's really important for us to understand why John writes the gospel. John writes to reassure believers of the truth of what they believe. And this is in light of all the deflections and rejection that's been happening. So he's seen the light. He's realised after Jesus has gone back to heaven... He's kind of put it all in place. It's dawned on him. And now he wants to remind the believers, hey, you know what? What you believed, the truth, it's still true. And we need that reminder today too, don't we? We know what we believed 30 years ago. 
We know what we believed yesterday, but what do I believe today? Because that's vital. So in, in the time that John's writing, there's lots of false prophets. They're denying the incarnation. So in other words, they're denying that God actually came to the earth as a man. And they're denying the saving significance of the resurrection. So John has to write into that ear and say, guess what? You heard the truth. You believed the truth. Keep believing the truth, right? So I know and you know we need that reminder today. So here's the thing. Ray Andrews always says this. should come up on a slide. We do not control our belief system. Our belief system controls us. Ooh, Sila, think about that for a moment. So what you believe about yourself, about God, about others, about the world, that's your belief system. And that belief system controls you, whether you like it or not. That's why our believing is so important. So I've got two simple questions for you today. Is that all right? going to ask them anyway. <laughs> My first question is this, where do you draw your beliefs from? The billabong or the bubbling river? Put another way, who or what is feeding your belief? What is your source? So let me explain what I mean. A billabong, this is the definition of billabong, it's a branch of a river flowing away from the mainstream but leading to no other body of water. It's a blind or a dead-end channel. It's a stagnant pool of water in the bed of a stream that flows intermittently. It's a creek bed holding water only in the, in the rainy season. So in other words, it's a dried up water course. So this is a term that the Wiradjuri people use and I just bring it out to illustrate a point. All of us can determine what we believe by drawing from the billabong, right? Drawing from mainstream media, from social media, from what people say about us, and even what the enemy, what the devil says about us. But when we do that, we're really drawing from the billabong, aren't we? We're drawing from a dead-end source that has no life and no eternal value in it. When we draw our beliefs from popular theory, popular thinking, popular people, Twitter, social media, groupthink, we're actually drawing from a source that will soon run dry. These voices, I guarantee you, the voices on Twitter will not last into eternity. They have no eternal value. They're actually a stagnant reservoir that collects information like water going nowhere. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some values in social media, there's values in social discussion, but those things don't have eternal value. Alternatively, when we believe what Jesus says about us, when you believe what Jesus says about you, that has eternal value. That's, gonna, that's what's going to keep you standing in the storms. When we draw from what Jesus says, we're drawing from living water, Think about that, living water, bubbling up, never runs dry, always refreshing, always cleansing, always bringing you into truth. That's what I want to draw from. So 
I've been thinking about this. One of the greatest challenges that we face in our believing is this. Believing in or on Jesus is both a one-time decision and a lifelong habit, isn't it? Hopefully, for most of us, we made a decision at one moment in time. And if you didn't and you're here today, I'd encourage you, why not do it today? Best decision you'll ever make. So we made that decision at that point in time, but we need to keep on believing, don't we? Because we have a whole world of stuff coming at us every single day, trying to drag you down, pull you away, distract you. I need to know. You need to know what Jesus says about you. That's all that matters, actually. Nothing else matters. So we all know Romans 10, 9 to 10, it says, if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, we'll be saved. So there's no doubt at that point in time, you stepped over into eternity. You entered into the family of God. There's no doubt about that. That's true. And one of the promises of that one of the promises of our inheritance is that we enter to heaven we will enter heaven we haven't yet <laughs> we're going to heaven again to quote my good friend ray andrews we can be going to heaven though and having a hell of a ride on the way there right and you know why we do that it's in our wrong believing that hell of a ride can often be because of our believing it's our wrong believing that actually gets us into trouble so I think most of us can relate to what the Father says in Mark 9.24. I know I can. This is what he says. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. How many times have you said that? I know I've said that to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. There can be areas of unbelief in our lives where that becomes a stumbling block for us. So for me, my faulty belief system came from various things that had been said about me um, or various lies that I'd believed because of things that had been said by influential people in my life. So the two lies that I believed is something is wrong with me and I can't do anything right. By the way, all of us have lies we've believed about ourselves. There were the two that kind of stuck with me. Here's the problem with those lies. They're... They usually start as lying emotions and after a while they seem to be reinforced in us to the point where it becomes our belief system. I think, wow, there really is something wrong with me. I really can't do anything right. And those lies, of course, are things perhaps that came from words that were spoken over us by broken and fractured people, right? And those broken and fractured people don't really, um, I guess, have the right to speak into our lives. Because only Jesus can tell me who I am, right? Only Jesus can tell you who you really are. So how do we overcome our unbelief? I was talking to a lovely friend this week about that, how we work through our unbelief, how we keep believing in the right way. Here's the thing. We basically replace those lies. We drive them out with the truth, right? You drive those lies out with the truth. And the truth is found in the word, so for me, practically speaking, I had to focus my thinking on what does God say about me? Because God doesn't say I'm a loser. God doesn't say I can't do anything right. That's not from God. 
But here's some things I've been focusing on. This is just an example for how to drive out those lies. Work out what your lies are because we all have them. We all have a faulty belief system in those lies. Work out what's my lie? What's the thing I believe about myself? And what truth from God's word can I grab hold of to drive out that lie? So for me, just simple things, God loves me. He loves me so much, he died for me. God loves you so much, he died for you. You're not a loser, you're actually a winner. I'm his beloved, so are you. He rescued me. Wow. He thinks about me all the time. Do you know God thinks about you all the time? Some of you believe the lie that you're forgotten. I think Will mentioned that. Or that you're lost. You know what? You're not. Jesus can't forget you. He cannot forget you. He really can't. How about this? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. One of my favourites, I'm God's masterpiece. As an, as an arty, creative person, I love that one. You are God's masterpiece. He didn't make a mistake making you. He's actually, he's, he's very proud of what he's made. There's nothing wrong with your nose, nothing wrong with your hair, girls. If you've got curly hair, that's the way it's meant to be. If you've got straight hair, that's the way it's meant to be. Don't keep thinking, I wish I had someone else's hair. God made your hair just that way because he loves it. He delights over it. He thinks it's beautiful. I'm completely free from condemnation. That's a good one, one of my favourites. I'm unique and beautifully made in his image. For the girls, I'm worth more than rubies. You're worth more than rubies. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are a temple for the Holy Spirit. How about that one? Incredible. I could go on and on. But basically, it's so important for us to remember the truth that God says about you in light of those lies. So when we read through the book of John, I think Nicodemus had a transformation. I don't know what you think, but it seems to me as a Pharisee, he was drinking from the billabong and he comes to Jesus. You know the story. He comes to Jesus in John 3, has a conversation. Jesus says, you need to be born again. He questions him, what does that mean? He, he thinks about the literal meaning. But it goes away, and I think Nicodemus thinks about that, and I think he has an encounter with God in a personal way. The reason I think that is because later on in John 7, we see Nicodemus defending Jesus when a group of Pharisees are attempting to unlawfully seize him. And then right at the end of John, in John 19... We see Nicodemus joining Joseph of Arimathea in giving Jesus a traditional Jewish burial. So I think Nicodemus had a transformation. He was drinking from the billabong and somewhere along those lines, after that encounter with Jesus, he realised the truth of, of the fact that his Messiah was in front of him, was with him, and he began to drink from living water. So I guess that's proof that it can happen to anyone, isn't it? So my first question, where do you draw your beliefs from? The billabong or the bubbling river? I want to challenge you this week in your believing, in your thinking. Listen to your thought patterns. And if you hear yourself drawing from something that doesn't sound like God, stop it. Stop it in its track. Don't let that belief system sidetrack you, send you in the wrong direction. So my second question for you today 
my final question. Is, is your belief in Jesus transactional or relational? Is it transactional or relational? Here's the thing. We make a grave mistake when we think our belief in Jesus and our following of him should be transactional rather than relational. Here's the thing. If it were transactional, then this would mean that we have something to contribute to the transaction. It goes along the thinking, we do this, we get that. After all, isn't that how the world operates? So we pay the man or the woman at the fuel station, a lot of money, and we get a tank of fuel. We pay the girl guy at Macca's and we get our Big Mac or a Cappy meal or whatever. Yet when we believe, we actually come to Jesus empty-handed, absolutely empty-handed. I love this saying, it's not that we are nothing, but that we have nothing. We come only to receive. You could put it another way. As believers, we are no more than receivers. We don't actually earn our relationship with Jesus. We simply receive. And I think it's this empty-handed absolute utter dependence on God which stops so many coming to him that's what stops so many believing and it's because as human beings we hate that kind of empty-handed utter dependence on God we kind of want to be our own gods self-sufficient fully independent doing things our way I do it my way we feel kind of better about ourselves if we bring something with us, don't we? We're like the woman on the ad, I've got to bring something. Favourites ad. Perhaps when we approach God, we feel like we need to impress him. We need to impress him with our intelligence, our good looks, our resume of wonderful deeds done in the name of God, our power, our reputation, our influence. But the only thing that God requires is that we present ourselves to him and we believe, we put our hand in the hand of Jesus and allow him to lead us. So when we read through the book of John, when you start reading through it, you realise just how transactional we can be as human beings and especially as followers of Jesus. So let's, let's read a couple of verses and let me show you this. So the crowd begins to follow Jesus. Why? Well, John 6 verse 2 says why. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So they're following and they're like, we've got to follow this guy. He's amazing. He healed the sick. He healed my sister. Have you heard what he's done? So they're really impressed with the signs, with the miracles. Then they follow Jesus to Capernaum after the feeding of the 5,000. Watch what Jesus says to the crowd now in John 6, 26. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Wow. So why are the people following Jesus now? It's still transactional. The people are following now because they're hungry and they think this guy's going to feed us. He's like the food truck. Last time it was fish and chips. Who knows what it'll be next time, lamb and tabbouleh? But watch Jesus' response to all this in the following verse. This is what Jesus says to the people. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you. So Jesus is saying, you know what? You're still thinking about your stomachs. You're still thinking about the physical. But what you really need is the eternal. So the next question that the people ask him is the same question people have been asking God for thousands of years. I want you to watch this. Verse 28, they ask, what must we do to do the works God requires? What must we do to do the works God requires? We're always asking God, what must I do? What are the terms of the transaction? How do I pay for this? Do you take PayPal? It's the question that humanity has been asking God for thousands of years. What do you want me to do? What will I do to feel good about myself? How will I earn my place? What, what do I need to do? And the answer is stunningly simple. This is what Jesus says in verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe, to believe, to believe in the one he has sent. There is one thing God wants you to do this week. One thing. Guess what it is? To believe. That's it. That's what he wants us to do. Is your belief in Jesus transactional or relational? Are you comfortable with the truth that the one thing that God requires of us to enter into a relationship with him is this, only to believe? Jesus longs for a true and real relationship with us and it's dependent on our belief. I'm preaching that to myself as I preach it to you because over and over again, the will, the conscience says, but I've got to, I've got to do something, I've got to earn this, I've got to feel I've contributed. Jesus says, all I want you to do is believe. So the best analogy that I can think of when it comes to belief is this. Jesus invites us to leave dry ground, stable ground, and get into the boat with Jesus. To me, that's the best analogy for belief. It's kind of like this. It's as if Jesus said to me 35 years ago, Come, Felicity, I invite you to believe. Get into the boat with me. I'm going to do the rowing. I just want you to join me. I'll steer the boat. I just want you to join me. There'll be smooth sailing and rough seas. But so long as you stay in the boat, it will be well with your soul. There'll be times when you feel like you're going to capsize. Anyone had those moments? Because the seas become so rough. Yet you won't. I won't let you go. I'll be with you in the boat. Right in the centre of the boat. You don't need to panic. I'm there with you. And you may forget in those moments when the fog is so thick that you can't see your hand in front of your face. Ever had those moments of confusion? Can't see my hand in front of my face. Guess what? I'll still be with you. In the boat, I'll still be with you. I won't leave you. I can't forget you. And there'll be moments when your face becomes so encrusted with the salt air that you can't feel my presence. But I'm still with you, right in the centre of the boat. 
and I still care. Dare to believe in the darkness of the darkest night when nothing surrounds you but hollow echoes and emptiness, when you cannot hear a thing but the sound of your own heartbeat in your throat. Dare to believe I'm still with you. To believe is to leave dry ground and get into the boat, to get into the boat with Jesus. Will you do that? Will you do that this week? Will you choose to believe, to get into that boat? It's the safest place. It's actually the only place to be in the boat with Jesus. Here's the thing. We'll go to unfamiliar lands, places we couldn't even have dreamed of. Who knows what those lands will look like? Jesus does. We'll meet wonderful people, people we would never have met before if we hadn't got in the boat. We will listen to languages that are foreign to us, languages that we can never understand because we got into the boat. We will experience things inexplicable to human existence, things you cannot explain because we got in the boat, because we chose to believe. Will you get in the boat this week? Will you choose to believe, to believe afresh? What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus says, only believe. Every other world religion will remind you of what you must do. Jesus, on the cross, reminds us it is done. Hallelujah. So I've been reading through John. And in John 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. We've been singing about that. We had a beautiful opening this morning, reminding us of Psalm 23. So either Jesus is a liar, which he's not, or if Jesus tells us he's the good shepherd, he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. So if he's the good shepherd, guess what? No matter what your life looks like right now, he's the good shepherd. He's taking you to a good place. He's leading you beside quiet waters. He's restoring your soul. Either we trust he's the good shepherd or we don't. If he's the good shepherd, even when things are hard and things do get hard, I know. He's still taking us to a good place because he's the good shepherd. Do we believe that? Because it's true. So for me right now, it would be easy and we could all do this. We could be transactional. I could say, Jesus, I'll believe you. If you heal me of my subglottic stenosis and all this other stuff going on in my body, I could say, yeah, I'll believe you, I'll trust you. Also, Will's alluded to this. It must be Holy Spirit, I think. But what if he doesn't heal you? What if he doesn't heal me? Will I still believe? You know what, I've made the choice. Yes, I will. I'm still going to trust Jesus, whether I get healed or not, because he's still good. He still does good. He's still the good shepherd. I don't want to be transactional with Jesus. That's not belief, right? That's not belief. Our belief in Jesus must be relational. We trust in him, his nature, the good shepherd. If I trust in him, lean on him, it's going to be okay. So if the team wants to come back up, let me remind you of those two questions. Where do you draw your belief from? 
where do you draw your beliefs from about Jesus? From the billabong or the bubbling river? And then number two, is your belief in Jesus relational or transactional? So I'd love to pray for you this morning and then at the end of the service, I'd love to open up the front because I don't know if you noticed this, but in the worship time, man, Holy Spirit was here. He's always here because you bring him. Church is not a building. Church is you. You guys are the church. You bring the presence of Holy Spirit into this empty auditorium. But I can tell you right now, Holy Spirit is here. So for some of you, this time of the year, you're getting tired and weary. It's October. How did it get to October so fast? Man. It's been maybe a a wearying, uh, exhausting time for some. Some of you feel just uh, war-weary. Some of you, it's financial stuff. Some of you might be relational, but I encourage you this morning, if you feel Holy Spirit drawing you to do this, come down the front and just let that river of living water refill you. You don't even need anyone to pray for you. You just need to stand in the presence of Holy Spirit, in the presence of Jesus, and let him refill you. So if Holy Spirit's leading you to do that, I encourage you, step out, come out the front, let him, let him re-saturate you with his beautiful presence. Let him refill you. But let me pray for you now as we close. Jesus, I just thank you that you are the river of living water. <laughs> thank you, Lord. We've been remembering that Feast of Tabernacles, the water ceremony. But I thank you, Lord, that day when you stood up in the temple... And said, whoever believes me, rivers of living water will flow from within me, from from within them. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in us now. Thank you, Jesus. You are the living water. You're the only source. Lord, this week as we go about our our coming and our going, whatever we're doing, whether we're travelling, whether we're going back to school, going back to work, driving, on the road, driving a truck, building stuff, whatever we're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're with us every moment of every day. We trust you. We choose to believe. We make a choice today, this week, to stay in the boat with you, Jesus, to trust you. The waters might look kind of murky. The journey might look dark and confusing, but we choose to trust you because you are our good shepherd. We put our faith and our belief and our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray you bless every person here today and all those watching online. May we align our thinking with yours this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.